You know, Beck and I started this church seven and a half years ago. Um, it was on our heart probably for maybe eight, nine years all together. And, um, you know, we had people speaking to us and into the kind of church that we were going to lead. And it was all really exciting. And, and we planted a church. And then a couple of months later, we had our state conference. And Beck and I had the privilege of driving a couple of guest speakers to this state conference. And, uh, and, and, and they were a, a really wonderful experience. Uh, pastors, they had, uh, you know, a wonderful ministry and they were seen as a mum and dad really to many pastors and so it was quite exciting for us to have them in the car and it was going to be from the airport all the way to Mandara so they were trapped with us right and so we were thinking man this is going to be great we're going to have this great conversation uh, but we also knew that sometimes some of these guest speakers have had a long flight and so uh, straight out of a flight into uh, an hour's drive might not be the best space and they might be a bit tired and all of that. And I think for this particular couple, it was a bit of both. They were excited for us and they were cheering us on and saying, oh, you planted a church, that's amazing. And also they were possibly a bit tired. And so as the conversation went along, it, it, was, it was all right. And then suddenly the conversation turned a little bit. When, um, when they asked us, so what are the goals of your church? And we were literally, not even joking, our church had literally been going for two months. And so I think I answered something along the lines of, well, we've only been going for two months. And so we were thinking maybe we will kind of see what kind of emerges. And then maybe a year later, we'll set some really strong goals looking into the future. We're kind of just kind of figuring things out. You know, there's still lots of different people that we're still meeting and seeing what kind of team we've got, what kind of people we're going to have in this church. And... Um, and this pastor then launched into, I think, what was about a half-hour lecture on why we needed goals. And he told us his story about how before he planted, there was already a goal for uh, the kind of church building they were going to have. They were going to have this Bible college attached to the church. They were going to have all of these kinds of ministries attached to the church. And I think that he said this because he wanted us to feel encouraged. He was like, look, dream big, reach big, have, have massive goals. And this was back in the day uh, where everyone made uh, a big, hairy, audacious goals. And so I think he was a bit like, why is this two young people not having any goals? And he was a bit like, you guys need goals. You need to set goals. And he was almost saying that if you don't have goals, your church is going to amount to nothing. And so there was this encouragement. At the same time, I left that conversation feeling completely flat. I was like, oh, am I going to miss this? Am I going to miss what God has on my life? Am I going to miss all that, um, you know, we had these prophetic words on our church and what kind of uh, uh, things we're going to do and the things that we're going to lead and we were excited about that. But in this moment, I was like, if I don't have goals, am I going to fall flat? If I don't have goals, am I just going to kind of lose my way? And I think that many of us sometimes, especially over the last few years, setting goals has been a little bit hard, Right? Anyone felt like goals have been a bit hard over the COVID season? You know, I, I want to do this. Well, no, you're not allowed to. You know, even a simple thing of like, I want to go out. No, you're not allowed to. It's like you get one little moment to go walk around the block and then you get home. Goal setting was a little bit difficult, but the science does show that goal setting is actually something that is quite important for our lives. 
The studies indicate that those who articulate and share goals with people, especially those who are maybe a little bit further along, they tend to reach their goals more. Whereas those who don't share their goals, they tend to reach their goals less. And then there's also this psychologist who wrote, to parents in particular, and she said, in fact, being goal-oriented is a critical, critical part of how children learn to become resourceful, which is defined as one's ability to find and use available resources to solve problems and shape the future. That's what goals do. They help us to search out resources and to shape the future, which made me kind of a little bit scared because what if I set the wrong goal? Am I shaping the wrong future? What if I set a goal that um, leads me down a path? Or what if my goal is too big? Or what if my goal is too small? What kind of church building should we have? A 100-seater? A 500-seater? Why not dream big? Because we've got the Holy Spirit. Why not go for a million-seater? Why not dream big? We are going to see five billion souls saved by the time we reach three years old. I walked away from that conversation going, what am I supposed to be dreaming up? What kind of goals am I supposed to have? What is the life of this church going to look like? And over the years, I think I've, I've sat with that. That conversation still sits with me, and I'm kind of going, God, what are you wanting to show me through this conversation? Is it that I don't have enough faith because my goals aren't big enough? Or is it that you're trying to show me that there could be a different way of understanding this whole idea of goals? And today I want to unpack something with you, and uh, it brings me to Deuteronomy 30 verses 15 to 20. And this is part of Moses' final uh, speech to the Israelites before he dies. And this was a speech that was um, supposed to galvanize this slave nation as they are about to take the territory that would make them the nation of Israel. Very important conversation. Moses was kind of like, I'm not going to be able to guide you and teach you any further. This is the last thing I want to leave with you. And so he says in verse 15, see... I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply and your Lord and your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall shortly perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over to Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice and holding fast to Him. For He is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. And this is a really famous uh, passage. But when you look at it, it's a little bit weird. Because the whole point of this passage that Moses was saying to the people of Israel was, I set before you life and death, and you choose. Would you like life or would you like death? You choose. Now, if Morpheus sat before us and had a blue pill and a red pill, <laughs> and he said, the blue pill gives you life, the red pill gives you death, not many of us would have trouble choosing. 
We wouldn't be going, oh, can I pray about that for a little while? Can I have a few days? You know, Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me. Live or, no, no, life. They're really, in my mind, when someone says, would you like to live or would you like to die? It's not really a choice. And I don't know if Moses was necessarily really trying to give the Israelites a choice. But what we do know, because we have the beauty of hindsight, is that we know that the Israelites, on their journey, chose death. Many times. Many times over. And... Um, it set off a cycle, and you can read the cycle. If you read the book of even just um, after Joshua led the Israelites into Israel, even towards the end of the book of Joshua and into the book of Judges, you see the cycle already starting uh, to happen. The Israelites chose death. They chose death time and time again. And that makes me think, are they kind of dumb? Or what is going on here? Did they maybe set bad goals? They sat down as they were listening to Moses and they go, okay, you get life or death. Well, you know what? Maybe we do five years of life and then uh, it's going to get boring. And so we'll do three years of death. And then maybe after that, we kind of cycle through. It's like, you know, what is going on? Well, you know what? As I was thinking about this, as I've read the Bible through a few times, one thing kind of stands out to me. I think the Israelites chose death after they got what they thought was life. They actually achieved the goals that were set. See, when we read what Moses said, or when I read what Moses said, I kind of think about it this way. If I obey God's commands, I get peace and prosperity. If I disobey God's commands, other people will overtake me. So... The obeying God element is just the pathway to the goal. And what is the goal? Peace and prosperity. You will live long. Um, you live long and prosper in the land. <laughs> Whereas the dark side, you know, you, you go down the dark side. And so what happened in the journey of the Israelites is that as they settled in the land and there was peace and prosperity, they hit their goals. They got it. I've got peace, I've got prosperity, I've got money, I'm powerful, I've got all that I'll ever need. So maybe the obeying part doesn't matter as much because I've got my goals. And so because they already are on the top of the world, they started to kind of look around a little bit and go, and maybe there's a different way to do this life. Maybe there's even better peace and prosperity out there, a better lifestyle, a better whatever. And they started to walk away from God because the peace and prosperity that came because of their obedience to God started to look a little bit boring. And I wonder whether that is something that happens in our lives because when we set our goals on material things, on things that are temporary, on things that don't necessarily uh, mean that much, but in the moment we go, well, I need to set a goal. You know, when, when Beck and I were having conversations after we had that chat with the pastor, we were like, so what kind of building do we need? You know, how many people do we need to reach? How are we going to do all of these fancy things? And after a while, it was like, but why does that make us a church? Is that really the essence of who we are? 
And so when we are in this well and we're journeying through it and we need to set goals, what are you setting your sights on? What kind of future are you shaping? Is it about a career? Is it if I do this kind of career, I'm going to feel satisfied and I'm going to feel really good? Well, guess what? You will work till you're in your 60s and then you quit. It's called retirement. Most people don't work to go, man, this is so fulfilling and I'm going to do it to the day I die. Most people are working to a point where they're going, when can I retire? <coughs> My dad is one of those weirdos who at 66 continues to want to work because he thinks that if he stops work, he's going to get bored. But I think most people are kind of in the work that you're doing, the career path that you're doing, there is a point where you start and it's exciting and you go, man, I'm going to be doing this for 30 years. 30 years comes, 30 years goes, and 30 years is gone. And your life finishes? Is that it? Or is it money? Well, money is something that you're supposed to use. So why is it something that we use becomes the goal of what we want? It's supposed to go. <laughs> Money is not supposed to be held on to. Or is it relationships? Well, you know what? Beck and I have had a couple of rough weeks relationally. And people come and people go. And some people are wonderful. And some people bring life for a season. And the fact of the matter is that people die. Should we set relationships as the goal of our life? Is the outcomes the thing that is important? Or is there something more that Moses is trying to impress on the Israelites, but we see the outcomes rather than what he was trying to really say? You see, when he was saying, I set before you life and death, he wasn't saying peace and prosperity versus being taken out by uh, marauding enemies. He was saying, choose God or choose worthless idols. He was not talking about the outcomes. He was talking about what kind of relationship we're supposed to have with God. And so when we fast forward to the New Testament and we come to Jesus, there's this passage that we just covered um, in the previous series on the Upper Room Discourse. But I want to come back to it again. In John 14, 1-7, Jesus says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. And they were troubled because Jesus was about to be arrested and to go to the cross. He had predicted it many times and his disciples were really struggling with their thought. But this is what he says, believe in God and believe also in me. In my father's house of many rooms, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you had known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, when I was a young Christian growing up, the focus of this passage for me was heaven. Was the ticket to heaven. And I think sometimes we think that that's what this passage is primarily about. Jesus is showing us where to go, to heaven. And so what we then create in that is a whole theology of like, if I say Jesus is my Lord and Savior three times and clap and get dunked in some water, suddenly I get my ticket to heaven. And then because I've reached my goal, I can do whatever else I want in my life. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the goodness of God is that he has prepared space for us. 
That is part of the abundance of God's heart. But the primary thing Jesus is trying to say here is that you get to know God. You see, at that time, theologically speaking, the Israelites thought that God was distant and hard to have a relationship with. If they were to approach God, they needed to sacrifice animals and then only get the priest, the high priest, one person representing the whole nation, gets to go into God's presence once a flipping year. One man in the whole of the nation gets to meet with God and Jesus is here and he's saying, you know the Father because you know me. You have a relationship with the Father because you know me. And then he goes on to say, I am the way, but not just the way to life. He is also the truth and the life. Jesus is saying, if you want life, you need to come to me. So when Moses is saying, I place before you life and death, he's not saying peace and prosperity versus destruction. He was saying, have a relationship with God. If not, you'll be living in darkness. And this shifts everything because so often I think we set terrible, temporary goals that we reach and prove to be empty. And then we tell ourselves, maybe I need bigger goals. I need to go bigger. I need to go better. I need to have more, more achievement, more success. And we keep thinking we never get there. Or, and, and, and some of us drive ourselves harder. I'm not there yet. I need to go. We need to, come on, give me another cup of coffee. I need to stay awake. I need to work harder. And we pump ourselves full because the goals that we are setting, shaping our future tells us, I need to work harder. If not, I'm not going to get there. Or maybe the opposite is true, that you set some goals and you've been disappointed along your journey and you go, no more goals. Live in the moment. What I have right now is the best I'll ever have. See, goals is a two-edged sword. If it's a good goal, it drives you. If it's a bad goal, it kills you. We're not meant to be setting goals other than the goal to know our Savior. And that's the thing that Beck and I came to after a few years and we met with another pastor who was also a church planner who said, you know, guys, I didn't really know the identity of my church till about four to six years in. And I went, oh, so you mean I can go through life and not actually fully understand everything? That the experiences actually show me where I'm going and what I'm meant to be doing? Oh. We didn't set any of those crazy goals because I stepped away from that going, no. I don't want to set temporary goals because I'm a Singaporean and Singaporeans need better. <laughs> no, no, all, all the Asians in the house, you know what I'm talking about. You got an A? Where's the plus? You got an A plus? Where's the A star? Singapore created A stars because the A wasn't good enough. And so my goals, I said, if I save 10 people this week, next week 10 people's not going to be enough for me. The worth, the abilities, my identity is wrapped up in being able to do more. And that's who I was and setting those goals would have killed me. And if I killed the people around me, rather I started to understand that God is not calling me to set goals away from Him, apart from Him, or goals that I need to achieve in order to get to Him. Rather, my goal needs to be getting closer to Jesus. 
living with God, abiding with God, trusting that what he has is good enough. And when I stay with God, that is what blessing truly is. Being close to God means that whatever he does is good. And that goodness overflows into my life. And that is what brings me life. As a church, our mission statement is to inspire people to live. But Beck and I have been talking. Maybe we need to clarify this. Partly because some people were saying, don't people already want to live? And I was like, yes, but you're not getting it. I'm talking about the Jesus life. So I was like, well, let's clarify it then. We are inspiring people to live in Christ and for Christ. That's where life truly is at. And what our church does, yes, we want a building to be able to reach more people so that they can find life in Christ and for Christ. You know, we were thinking, oh, I've, been, I've been thinking about this building and it's like, Nate, why do you want a building? Is it because you're just sick of waking up on Sunday mornings and putting stuff together? I, like, I actually don't mind. It makes me do one, one workout a week. It's all right. <laughs> well done. I've done it today. No, that's, it's because there are people that need to be reached. There are giftings within this church that need to be activated. It's because there are people in the communities that are waiting for a church to be there, to own that space. You know, I did some statistic research because I am a nerd at heart. And I found out that nearly a third of people living in the city of Belmont are, in, uh, are living alone. Single people dwellings. In and of itself, it's not that special, except that it is something like 8% higher than the rest of Perth. There are a lot of people living alone, and many of them are probably happy. I've met some of them. But there are many people, and there is already an epidemic of loneliness. What better than to have a community, a church, a family that gets together and celebrates new life and celebrates the gifts and the talents, celebrates the goodness of God and also weeps and mourns with those who are grief-stricken and all of those things. I want a church building because there are more ministries to reach out. There are more ministries that we need to do. Why? Because the closer I get to Christ, the more I see His heart and the more my heart is broken for other people. The problem with so many of our goals is that we set goals that speak into who I am rather than who God is and his goodness and what he wants to do and I come to the end of myself I don't know what year it was it probably was year three or four at Lyft and I was kind of going this is getting hard having a growing church is hard I don't know if I've got what it takes to have this church grow to another level and there were all these books written about is your church stuck is that yes at least I thought it was stuck. But then I started to find this passage in the Bible that says, where Paul writes, I scattered seed, Apollos watered it, but it's God that brings the growth. And I was like, I've been scattering seed, but God's not bringing the growth. So God is stopping me from reaching my goals. <laughs> it wasn't a nice feeling. I was like, God... Why are you not letting me reach my goals? And I realized it's because it wasn't his goals. And the more I come in alignment with what God's goals are, the more I found life and liberty. I don't care how many people rock up to church, well, I do. But it's not about this. It's about so much more. It's about people being discipled. It's about people going on a journey. It's about people finding Christ and finding life and life abundantly. 
In other words, what kind of goals are you setting? What kind of future are you envisioning? And what does God say about that? Can you actually place the fullness of your life into those goals? Are you willing to sacrifice everything to reach those goals? Are they worth your life? The more I'm going through life, a church building is not worth dying for. But the people, the people that come to that church is. And if it means that we meet in this room, we'll meet in this room. If it means God's got a bigger room for us, we'll go into that bigger room. What matters is what God is saying. I want to finish this morning with a quote. Jonathan Edwards is one of the premier uh, English theologians of all history. He's a great man. And one of the things that was written um, about Edwards is that for him, the meaning of life was found in intense loves, including earthly loves. It's a bit of a weird statement. And so another author, his name is Ray Ortland. I think he's still alive. He's, he took that thought and then he imagined a conversation with Edwards. And this is what he wrote. He asked Edwards, so Jonathan, what is the meaning of life? And this is what he wrote. He said, Ray, the meaning of life is found in intense loves, including earthly loves, not moderate loves, not play it safe loves, not this one cost you anything loves, not let's dabble in the shallows loves, but intense loves, brightly burning loves, all-consuming loves, hiding in our timid hearts is a desire to be loved mildly and no more. That way we retain control. We set the terms and we avoid risks. Our loving God in His flaming intensity will have none of it. He defines the meaning of our lives and we are saved from our mild loves and lifted up by His grace into intense loves like His own. You know, that... When I read that, I was like, are the goals that I'm setting, setting me aflame? Is the life that I'm reaching for truly one that I can say I'm willing to give all of my life for? Because when God reaches us, that is what will happen. Our vision and our orientation changes to the things that are truly worth it. Some of us are stuck in a rut doing a job that we do to get money and that's it. Is that really an intense love or a mild love. I will stay in this job because it gives me security. Now, I've got nothing against having a job to pay the bills and to raise a family because I know that that's something that is necessary. But what I'm saying is that when God touches us, He is a God of passion and He's a God of intense love. We talk about Easter Sunday as the passion of the Christ. That wasn't just a movie title. That's a theological statement about what Christ did. He was so passionately in love with the world, people who were in rebellion to Him that He died on the cross. And He didn't just die on the cross, He suffered greatly for us. That's the kind of God that we were created in the image of. So don't tell me that God created you for a nine to five job so that you can pay the bills. Sometimes that is a part of it, but there's something so much more in it. And it's when we come in touch with God and when we understand what He's saying and how we have been created, that is what ignites us. No more of this mild, playing it safe kind of a life. And I think that's part of the problem of our culture, where most of us here are living lives that are comfortable, where it's easy. 
We have a shelter. We have a safety net. We've got everything in between. But do we have an intense love for what God is wanting to do? Do we have a flaming intensity in our soul that I have been called for something greater than this? I don't want to set 10-year goals on buildings. I want to set goals to live every day, to reach the people that God surprises me with. I don't want to set goals with my finite mind and my finite understanding says, well, this is what we need to do. I want to be surprised by Christ. I want to be surprised by the Holy Spirit and what He wants to do. I'm scared of setting five-year goals. You know why? Because in five years, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. But at the same time, I rely on the wisdom and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In a couple of weeks when we get back, we're going to do a whole series on discernment and how the Holy Spirit speaks into our lives because I think that is so important for us. When we follow the Holy Spirit, He sets our vision, He sets our goals. And that's the invitation that I want to give to everyone today. We had a baby dedication, and this is a life that could be anything. He could be a rapper, he could be a preacher. He could be a rapping preacher. I don't know what he could be. He could be a pilot, he could be a beggar. He could be anything in between. But there's so much potential. But my prayer is that Buzz grows up knowing the Holy Spirit so that he's not anything, he's a child of God who has been touched by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and living for the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit. That is what life is meant to be. And so we dedicate Him because there is life to be had. But for every person in this room, as long as you have breath, you still have choice. You still get to reorientate your way to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain because what God is doing in me is worth attaching myself to, is worth giving all of myself to. I've noticed that when I give myself goals that are not godly, it might be good goals, is that I find myself willing to do anything to get there. And I don't like the person I become when that happens. I don't like that competitive rage that simmers in my soul. I don't like how calloused I become. I don't like how uncaring I become because those goals need to be met. And maybe you're not like me. But what's your vision about? Have you been captured by something that sets you aflame? An intense love that is worth giving your life for. I found that in Jesus, and that's the story of the Bible. Not peace and prosperity in the land, not going to heaven, but a relationship with a God who left heaven in order to be with us. A relationship with the God who is not distant, but would give His life so that we can have life. A God who is intimately aware of every single fiber of your being, who has put you together for meaning and purpose, for good works that He prepared in advance for you to do. That's the God that I serve, and I pray that that's the God that you will live with, because that is where life is. Can I get the band up? Can we just pray? Jesus, in this moment I pray for every person in this room and I'm deeply aware 
that following you fully is not always easy. That there are disappointments and frustrations along the way. And so these words that I'm saying that I felt that you placed on my heart, I understand that sometimes it doesn't make sense when following you sometimes leads into hardship, leads into failure, leads into hurt. But God, I pray for every person here that God, that you ignite something inside of us to show us that you are leading and guiding us into what is truly life. God, I pray that you help us to let go of the things that are meaningless, the things that we can let go of. But rather, God, I pray that you bring us back to the things that are truly eternal, truly valuable. God, you've set eternity in our hearts and you call us to live uh, in orientation to that. So God, the things that are temporary, I pray that even right now, Holy Spirit, that you are just highlighting and burning up. But God, I pray that you ignite dreams in this room. You know, God, I, I thank you that you have placed a wonderful calling or wonderful callings in each and every person. And that, God, you are doing something magnificent, that there are things that people in this room are able to do with your grace and anointing that still need to be done. And so, God, I pray that there is a fire that is being stoked up for those who have maybe gone into a mild, loving kind of a life. God, I pray that, God, that there will be something inside of them that will be sparked up, new dreams, new visions, or maybe even revisiting old dreams and dead dreams. Let it be fanned up into flame. Let it be ignited in this room in the name of Jesus. And this morning, I would like to take some time to pray with people and we'll have a team as well. But if you sense that God's calling you to something more, and maybe there's a little bit of fear, maybe there's a bit of trepidation, or maybe there's just something in you that says, I want to be encouraged in this. Why don't you come on up? Uh, as the band plays um, this next song and we will pray for you. For everyone else, we've got a wonderful morning tea set up for you just over uh, outside in the, uh, in the foyer area. So uh, please hang out and please, you know, you know, have a great time. But I just sense that God wants to do something significant in this room this morning. Can we all stand? I'm going to pray and close uh, the time we have together. If you want prayer, come on forward and not head into the foyer for some morning tea. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you love us so much. That there's no one in this room that you are looking at with condemnation, but you're looking at them with an invitation to something more and to something deeper. So God, I pray that we answer the invitation today and we answer the invitation tomorrow and the day after and for the rest of our lives. I thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much, church. The band's going to lead us in this song. If you want prayer, come on forward and we will pray with you. Thank you so much, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.